Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome as we start another week. We're getting close to the midterms. The Democrats are panicking, but that's not what they say on their media outlets. They try to pretend all is well and going in their direction. Don't buy it. Uh, So, for example, (laughs) this just kind of cracked us up. They had Elton John perform at the White House. Uh, you know, he's on one of these, they, they have a farewell tour or they, you know, Cher, I think has had six farewell tours. Now you get a little cynical that they're really saying farewell, squeeze the dollars, squeeze the dollars. Um, so there's a clip. My boy, Ben found this especially hilarious where, you know, Elton John has, I believe he has an AIDS charity. Um, and, uh, Joe Biden being Joe Biden, uh, tried to be sarcastic with Elton John, and it, this is what it sounded like. By the way, it's all his fault that we're spending $6 billion in taxpayer money this month to help AIDS fight HIV AIDS. Now, Elton John claps along, so clearly he's seeing that as a compliment. In other words, we have a lot of federal AIDS funding, and you can thank Elton John for lobbying it. Some... Some pop star from London is driving our federal government's AIDS policy. But of course, what it, what it could sound like in the way that PolitiFact would slap you with a pants on fire is, yeah, you know, we're spending $6 billion on AIDS because of Elton John. <laughs> like he's the typhoid Mary of AIDS or something. Uh-oh. Clearly that was not what he meant. And if you actually... You know, they're putting this up on our marketing page, on our Facebook page today. And I said, yeah, the fact checkers will probably crack down on us. It's just the way they are. We are at a sensitive point, And we, you could certainly see when you go to fact checking, something we're going to be following here is on these crucial races, especially in the Senate and a couple of governor's races. They're going to be pretty aggressive in saying, oh, you know, this Republican lied. You can't say John Fetterman's crazy. Did you? Here's another clip. John Fetterman is talking about those Philadelphia Eagles, which are having a good start, kind of destroyed the Washington Commanders yesterday. And this is how he described how the hometown team was doing. Did you see this one, Ben? He said the Eagles are better than the Eagles. <laughs> The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. Yeah, he doesn't have any uh, connecting his mental brain there issues. Um, And, uh, you know, I think what we usually find when people would say to us, how do they cover the midterms? Usually what they do is they pick a couple of races where they find the Republicans to be really embarrassing and double down on those. So you would bet if we're going into the next few weeks they're going to they would for example pick on Herschel Walker um you know they're going to pick on Dr Oz cuz they're famous they're Trump endorsed and you know they're kind of easier to 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 pick on um but so far we haven't seen as much of that as we might have expected from previous cycles but it it we still have time um but you know i think when you look at things they want to say oh it's going swimmingly but 
You know, that's not what they found in the latest ABC News Washington Post poll, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Primarily, I wanted to discuss an article that fascinated me in Sunday's Washington Post. The Book World section, brand new section now, they used to fold the Book World into the Outlook section. They moved Outlook where it belongs, onto the editorial pages. On the back page of the Book World section is a review of a new book by Peter Baker and Susan Glasser. They are both reporters. They are married to each other. Peter Baker now at the New York Times. Susan Glasser, you can see all over CNN, uh, but also of the New Yorker magazine. All of those comfortably liberal journalism places. The review in the Washington Post is by a Yale professor named Jacob Hacker. And you can see that Jacob Hacker is uh, coming at this from the left because they tout him as the author of Let Them Eat Tweets, How the Right Rules in an Age of Extreme Inequality. Yeah, sounds like a Bernie Bros type of book. So the headline is Trump's Tale Raises Questions for the Media. This was the interesting part. They tout how digital subscriptions to the New York Times and the Washington Post soared during Trump's presidency. The combined viewership of CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News more than doubled between 2015 and 2020. And, of course, he has to say the biggest beneficiary was Murdoch's conservative media empire. Well, everybody benefited from the circus. And Trump, when he was in his ego mood, well, which is most of the time, um, you know, basically said the media would fall apart without me or they're going to miss me. And, I'm, you know, obviously you can see some of that. You can see how uh, ratings are down. That Certainly the newspaper subscriptions aren't like they used to be because everybody was whipped into a state of panic all the time about Trump. And always think about this when you say they're always, they're still whipping all this panic up about Trump. I watch TV news now and I say, who's president? Because it feels like there's three times as much coverage of Trump than than there is of the current president, which is weird. But it it suggests that they are, uh, maybe they don't find a lot worth defending of Biden. Hmm? Or they just, you know, they, they're still attached to this model of whipping people up about Trump works and people will watch. I don't know. But uh, this review continues. Fox News became the closest thing to state TV the United States has ever had. Wah, wah. See, liberals can never admit. Did you watch the news media under Bill Clinton? I was here for the Bill Clinton for president a campaign of 1992. And I swear the reporters were almost singing. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Fleetwood Mac. Uh, you know, they were right along. They presented not just Bill Clinton as a wonderful person and Al Gore. They would do interviews with Hillary Clinton and Tipper Gore. And it was all lovey, lovey, happy, happy, pom, 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 pom. You know, they weren't state-run TV yet because those people weren't in charge yet. That had to come later. Then that looked like a piker thing next to Obama. You know, so for you to say it was not state-run TV under Obama means you weren't here under Obama. You didn't watch a television set or screen under Obama. 
You know, absolutely again in 2008, 2007, Saturday Night Live was doing satires about how debate moderators asked Barack if he needed a pillow. Everybody knew what the media was doing at that time. They were enraptured with Obama. And when he became president, it got worse. All right. So they would, you know, and they would grant him these 30 minute, 45 minute, minute or hour long interviews. And it would all be sappy, sappy, sappy. Whatever you want us, whatever you want us to ask, Mr. President, that's what we'll ask. So it's always funny when a liberal tries to say that somehow uniquely Fox News was state run TV under Trump. It, it was pro-Trump. I think you could say it was pro-Trump, but I would say it was a lot like the way the liberal networks were with their Democratic presidents in recent ages. This is one of the reasons why the Republican Party was ready, the Republican voters were ready for a candidate who would call the media fake news because it seemed like they were dedicated to publicizing Obama instead of covering him. Okay, so... If you don't want to call it fake news, because not everything in the news is false, you really can call it publicity. They are publicists. They are public relations executives. They are uh, manufacturing a narrative, all of those things. That's sort of what fake news entails, but it doesn't seem to make them as angry. And Trump, of course, is always about trolling. He's going to make you angry. That's what he does. And he's basically also going to suggest you're not a professional. And that's what also upsets them because you never want to tell them, well, you're not really a professional. You're just kind of a hack. You're just sort of, you know, carrying Biden's bucket or, or shoveling behind Biden. You know, don't let Biden talk to people. The Easter Bunny has to turn him around and take him away from questions. That's what we have now. Then there was this little thing that proves apparently that Fox News was state TV. In a single year, Trump tweeted about stories on Fox News shows 657 times. This last gem comes from the Baker and Glasser book. That's an interesting little stat. Trump tweeted about Fox stories in one year 657 times, or almost twice a day. That's interesting. But this is where we have to say... Okay, but, you know, when it came to the conservative media, that is the big dog. And that's not that surprising. I mean, let's remember, the liberal media is way spread out. So you're not going to tweet 657 ABC stories. You're going to use ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, MSNBC, NPR, The Atlantic, Time Magazine, right? You're going to use, you could use all manner of, of conservative or all manner of liberal sources, but you'll look more diverse. But this is the, it's a, it's an interesting stat. I like the stat, but they're trying to try to call it state run TV. It's like, yeah, it's, it's supportive TV. That's, you know, Fox news channel was founded to be fair and balanced. I think they tried that at the beginning, but it's evolved over time. And it's become very, very successful, not just as a cable news channel, but as a cable channel, period. It's one of the most watched cable channels, period. And so, obviously, in that sense, that villainous Murdoch knows what he's doing. Where the CNN has whole shows on 
Murdoch empire of influence where CNN people and New York Times people will all describe how Fox News is terrible. It's kind of funny. It's, you know, it's, it's like CNN and Fox is like Jif and Skippy, but it's like Jif made a whole commercial about Skippy is fascist. Skippy is ruining America. <laughs> That's not exactly the same thing, but they're both peanut butter. You know, they're both um, broadcast news operations, and they it's really kind of funny the way they pretend like Fox News, which is pretty much the only th- one um, who seems to challenge their dominance. Now, obviously, we can all say we have some role in that, right? There's a lot of conservative websites and, and papers and talk radio hosts I'm just saying they do all seem to center on Fox. You know, Brian Stelter is going to go do a whole profane gossipy book on Fox with a pile of anonymous Fox sources or formerly Fox sources and Fox Democrats. Fox hires Democrats who then go leak to CNN. Oops. So the review says the thesis of Baker and Glasser's book is unoriginal if accurate. Trump posed a unique threat to American democracy. The threat was lessened by his ineptitude, the incompetence of many he relied on, and the resistance of many others, some principled, some partisan, some self-preserving. But the threat was magnified by the anti-democratic swing of the GOP exploited. The creakiness of the constitutional order he challenged and his increasing mastery of the loyalty test politics he excelled at. Now, the last part you, you, you got to make a nod to, and that is Trump very much was a loyalty test guy. That's absolutely true. And it, it is true that people would be afraid to cross Trump. They'd be a, afraid to upset Trump voters. So there's some of that. But it just, again, you get so tired of these people running around saying, Trump was a unique threat to democracy because, well, he was different. He used different tactics. I mean, and I'm talking about before he refused to concede the election. I'm talking about everything we did during the Trump presidency up to about January 6th is they were always just upset that he didn't play by the rules. Here are the rules. We go back to the George W. Bush rules, and that is you accept them beating you about the head and shoulders. You accept it. Because that's the natural order of things. This is exactly what the Republican voters wanted to rebel against. You will accept our four debates with three out of four liberal moderators and maybe a Chris Wallace. Well, okay. Now, Chris Wallace, the conservative moderator, right now working at CNN, making strange comments like, haven't we all wanted to be a woman or felt like a woman sometimes? No, Chris Wallace, we don't. Not really. Um, but Trump just challenged the whole way that the media got to run politics. And one of the ways you don't let the media run politics is you call them a bunch of fakers. The review continues, Trump's assault on American democracy was also assisted, let us be honest, by the American media and not just the right-wing sources that glorified his presidency and radicalized his voters. Trump would have not gotten into the White House at all if it were not for the mainstream media routines that made classified messages on Hillary Clinton's private email server the biggest character issue of the campaign. And he adds, the irony is too thick to cut in reference to the current Mar-a-Lago documents fracas. Uh, 
this is plainly false. The idea that they think Hillary's private email server was the biggest character issue of the campaign is ludicrous. Anyone following the 2016 campaign would see the biggest character issue of the campaign was them constantly assaulting Trump's character. The Access Hollywood tape. You want to grab them by the crotch. That was a character issue. That was enormous. You know, uh, the he called the Miss America fat. Uh, you know, these sorts of things were constant. The, the, the dominant character issue of this campaign in 2016 was Trump. Hillary Clinton was not presented as a character problem. And then the liberal media, on the, on the case of the private email server, tried not to cover it. And when they covered it, they came to her defense. And they're upset because, yes, FBI Director James Comey did not cooperate in the way that we wanted. Is that Jim Comey was, yet weirdly enough, somehow not pro-Democrat enough. Does that sound like Jim Comey? And then maybe Jim Comey under Trump was like, oh, I have to correct my impressions among Democrats and crack down on Trump. And leak all kinds of damaging things about Trump because the Democrats are mad at me and I can't have the Democrats mad at me. Anyway, the, the email server was, a, was not half the story that, that, uh, that the Trump character issues were. It was a story they tried to bury. They only covered it when they had to. And generally they suggested it was a... It was terrible of Trump to bring it up. Just like they would have said it was terrible of Trump to bring Bill Clinton's sexual assault and harassment figures to a debate. That was, you know, what was it? Margaret Sullivan compared it to, the, to some sort of Last Supper. It was the weirdest. They just hated the idea that Juanita Broderick and Paula Jones were going to be brought into the debate audience to throw off Hillary. You know, that, so the dominant character issue of the campaign was always Trump one, Trump two, Trump three, Trump 57. You know, Hillary Clinton was not dominant. But the, the, the liberal complaint continues from Professor Jacob Hacker of Yale. Even after Trump took power, journalists struggled to, rest, to restrain old instincts to broadcast every tweet. No, they didn't do that. They only broadcast the tweets they thought were nutty. He could tweet things that sounded normal. They weren't going to broadcast those. They wanted the nutty ones or the ones, again, the ones they thought were nutty, the ones they thought were overly angry, the ones that they that were misspelled, the one that said kafefi. To focus on political fluff rather than policy substance. Yes, exactly. That part is correct, is that they were so busy covering Trump messaging Policy fell off the bandwagon. They, they didn't really care about policy. You know, we've made this point repeatedly that if you looked at Trump coverage, it was overwhelmingly about gaffes, scandals, this sort of thing. And when they covered policy, it was usually because they wanted to say he was doing something disturbingly inhumane to illegal immigrants or something. And then uh, the, the end of the sentence, he complains to give, quote unquote, both sides equal say. They hate both sides, right? You can't give people both sides. Once you've become convinced that the Trump side is evil, you can't do both sides. For example, this was also in the Sunday Washington Post, the Washington Post magazine, a story called uh, on the Victims of Communism Museum in downtown Washington. 
New tourist destination for you conservatives. Headline, a new museum spotlights the crimes of communism. The project has bipartisan roots, a tilt to the right, and a message for the U.S. All right, so most of this article by a guy named Justin William Moyer is, is okay. It kind of acknowledges that communism wasn't all good. But somewhere in the middle, there's this whole idea about, oh, well, now we give, need to give you the Communist Party point of view. You notice? See, they hate both sides, both sides-ism, when they don't want to give Trump something to say. He doesn't get to balance out this story. And usually what they, that's what they did do, is they thought Trump was the worst spokesman for the Republicans they could imagine. So most of the time, Trump represented the Republican point of view, almost exclusively it felt like sometimes, because they thought, well, he's going to do it so badly, that's the Republican point of view we want. It's the same reason they wanted him to, run, to be the front runner in the first place. They wanted him to be the face of the Republican Party. They promoted him, just like they're promoting these mega Republicans in primaries. And then they turn around and say, threat to democracy, threat to democracy. If they're a threat to democracy, stop trying to support them or promote them or make them a thing. So yes, there's this weird two paragraphs where Justin Moyer talks to uh, this woman named Roberta Wood. She joined the Communist Party in 1969. She was no hippie. She wanted to join the labor movement. She said her life in the Communist Party is a really wonderful life. And then it gets really ridiculous. Wood says communists are against the victimization of anyone under any system. The Washington Post fact checker will not get involved. Then she says, I can't defend everything that's been done in the past century and a half in the name of communism. Humans are always going to make mistakes. So tens of millions of people die in gulags or now they're dying in, in, in Uyghur camps, in prison cells, executed by firing squad, whatever, starved to death like the Ukrainians. And it's like, oops, mistakes were made? So that's just one of those things when, when a liberal runs around and say, here's what's wrong with journalism. You're giving, quote unquote, both sides equal say. Well, again, we could tell you that what Rich Noyce was finding here is coverage of Trump was 90% negative. So the idea that he was getting, the idea that he was getting equally negative and positive coverage is preposterous. He got overwhelmingly negative coverage. That's just the way it was because they all talked themselves into this in liberal land. We can't normalize him, which means you have to beat him constantly. It's not. It's reporting on him would be inadequate. You can't just repeat what he says. He's the end of democracy. You have to protest the end of democracy. Reporters have to be protesters. They have to be part of the hashtag resistance. So then he's, he kind of acknowledges, Jacob Hacker, that the media eventually came around to some degree. Only with time and increased understanding of Trump's intentions did we see meteor investigations of his finances, policies, and manipulations, and how they were abetted by his increasingly cultish party. Baker and Glasser compare Trump to the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. They gradually figure out how to corner their new human prey, the prey in this case being American democracy. I'm, I'm literally, I'm just reading you what this guy's writing. 
The metaphor is apt for journalists as well. Under unprecedented attack, those covering Trump had to learn while hunting. Well, at least that part's accurate. You're comparing the reporters to hunters. If you're going to compare Trump to velociraptors, yes, he's a stupid, vicious dinosaur who's figuring out how to pick locks. No metaphor is too stupid for these people. Whether it's Hitler, Stalin, and Mao, whether it's comparing them to dinosaurs, nobody ever has to prove that it's accurate. It just has to be fun, I guess. just has to make you happy. has to give you a little thrill. So near the end of this review, then the last real complaint was, and we see this a lot, the anti-Trump authors held their damaging scoops for the book. How dare you do that? The reviewer here complains, or he uses Eric Alterman, the socialist, to complain. Baker and Glasser had kept some of the most explosive disclosures under wraps. When they, you know, this is the kind of thing you could have done earlier, when we really needed it. Evaluating this charge is hard, he writes, because Baker and Glasser rarely cite their own interviews and never say when any of them were conducted. Don't you love it when journalists are transparent, quote-unquote? You never get to know who our sources are. We won't even tell you when it was that we interviewed them. Hacker continues, journalism is a business and journalists need to make a living. But as daily journalists, they also have a responsibility to inform citizens as they discover news. And it's deeply troubling if they hold back relevant information for commercial reasons. Yes, this was a constant thing again. When you're hunting Trump, you get you don't get to save your scoops. Liberals get very mad at you when you try to save your scoops because he always needed to be destroyed yesterday. Jacob Hacker concludes, in this all-hands-on-deck moment, which is always with Trump, we need journalists focused on the horizon and shouting quickly and clearly about icebergs ahead. This is already one of the problems about journalism. We were discussing this earlier today in the office. And that is so much of news, and especially so much of cable news, is not telling you what happened today. They're speculating about what's going to happen tomorrow. And usually that tomorrow is either a horrendous future on the horizon if Trump succeeds or the Republicans succeed. If the Republicans take the House and or the Senate, all these horrible things are going to come to pass. I mean, that's what Democrat candidates are saying on the stump now, so you'd expect it to also come out of liberal media outlets. Or it's this whole idea of, you know, the the end of COVID's right around the corner. They're, they're not really sure how they want to do that. Uh, but just always the idea that inflation's about to go away. It's transitory, guys. How were they were they right about that? Did they get the horizon correct on that one? What are the icebergs ahead for Biden? You'll never know. Maybe you'll know when they hit one. All right, one more thing from Sunday's Washington Post. They did a poll, the ABC News Washington Post poll. And it didn't have good news. So it was on A14. Isn't that fascinating? When the ABC and the Washington Post do a poll and they don't like the results, A14. If they like the results, A1. 
right? So it's on A14, and you have to go several paragraphs in till you get to this one. President Biden continues to be a drag on Democratic candidates this fall. The post-ABC survey pegs his approval rating at 39%, with 53% disapproving, including 41% strongly disapproving. That's not a good poll. And that's why it's on page A14. Now, let's tell you what's in the poll quote. You know, the quote where they put something in large italics. It's not the Biden part. This is what's in the poll box. Earlier predictions of big GOP gains have been clouded by the Supreme Court's decision in June to overturn Roe versus Wade, spurring on abortion rights supporters, especially younger women. See, that is Democrat happy talk is the idea of earlier predictions of big GOP gains clouded. Well, again, if you, we know the way these things work, and that is if Biden goes into the fall elections at 39%, it's not going to be a good election for the Democrats. This poll also showed, this was kind of the funny part, they did a Biden-Trump head-on-head. So there's this result. If the 2024 race is again between Biden and Trump, 48% of registered voters say they would support Trump, while 46% would support Biden, a difference within the poll's margin of error. So Trump has been so damaged by the January 6th probe and all these other probes, the one in New York, the one in Georgia, the House January 6th probe, the Justice Department Mar-a-Lago raid, He's beating Biden in the ABC Washington Post poll. And let's just question here. Guess where in this story this paragraph is about Trump actually beating Biden in a head-on-head. The word penultimate comes to mind. That means second to last. Second to last paragraph. Not in the headline. No, the headline in this story is Polls find sharp divides as midterms near. Now, that's the kind of headline that says, you can turn to A16. <laughs> yes, the subheadline, two sides highly motivated to vote with both houses of Congress up for grabs. There's some, uh, there are some charts here. For example, which party do voters trust more to handle major issues, the Democrats or the Republicans? Oh, no. Inflation, Democrats 36, Republicans 54. Worse than that, crime, Democrats 34, Republicans 56. The economy, Democrats 37, Republicans 54. Oh, this is why Republicans want to run on crime and the economy. Immigration's pretty much 44, 45. Abortion for the Democrats, 51% Democrat, 34 Republicans. Hence, they think this is their hot issue. Not, not really a surprise. When they did random, who would you vote for? Which party would you vote for in the fall? Republican, 47, Democrat, 46. This is also not good news. Because generally, when they're equal or close to equal... It's way worse than that. Because remember, there's a lot of districts in big cities where they're overwhelmingly Democratic. So if they're even Stephen, that means Republicans are going to pick up some seats. And, you know, on some level, it doesn't really matter, at least in the news media sense, whether the Republicans gain a House majority of 5 or 10, or they gain a House majority of 40, 
obviously would say something about where our democracy was. They're going to have trouble with that if it was a big red wave. Oh, I thought you guys liked democracy. Suddenly democracy, we would be like, what's wrong with the voters? They're not going to question the voting machines that there's a big red wave, but they're definitely going to question the voters. We've seen that over the years. Like after 94, where Peter Jennings said out loud, the American people had a temper tantrum, you know? (laughs) We'll now need to correct them. Their version of democracy does not please me. That's the news media we have. That's the ABC that's still running these polls. And remember... Always remember when you look at these major media polls is they're usually wrong. They have a liberal bias. That's what's disturbing to the Democrats about this poll. This is supposed to be a poll with an inherent Democrat bias, and it's showing Trump beating Biden and Biden at 39% approval. That's why they put it on A14. So you'll have to keep up as we try to keep up with how they cover politics Donald Trump, Joseph Robinette Biden, you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.